Well, good morning. Uh, it's a privilege to be here with you. My name is John Bell, and I've had the privilege to preach here a number of times and got to know some of you. And my wife and I, with our three kids, live uh, in Hazlitt, and so it's a real privilege to uh, be able to come and share with you. Uh, let's pray and ask God to bless this time in the Word. Father in heaven, I thank you that you invite us into your presence to worship, to express the reality that you really are all that we need. And perhaps even this morning, we've all wrestled with many other things that that we so often want. Father, we know that you are it. And the amazing thing is that you welcome us as we are, by your grace, by your kindness. And Father, I thank you that you've revealed yourself to us and that you've given your spirit to, to help us understand and to, most importantly, help us to submit to what we hear and to follow in your ways. So I pray that you'd bless this time this morning, that you would speak, that we would realize the truth of what you say, and we'd gladly follow in those ways. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, there are lots of things that I want to do in this life, and very often these things that I want to do have a bar, that you have to be better than this, you have to be above this, you have to have more than this in order to do it. So one of the things that I have a dream of doing is some someday flying in a a fighter jet and taking off from an aircraft carrier. I just think this would be the coolest thing in the world. The landing on the aircraft carrier, that would be neat too, but you know, I get a little nervous about that and this big ocean, this little thing you got to land on. But I just think that would be the coolest thing to do. Turns out you have to be one of the best pilots in the world to do it, sign up for the military, have incredible discipline, and all these other things that I'll never have, right? So there's a very high bar to do what I want to do, and I won't reach it. I'm not that good, right? But this is true in lots of things, big and small. Um, remember going as a kid to Cedar Point, and you go to Cedar Point, and there are these cool rides you want to do, but you got to be, you know, 48 inches or 58 inches and whatever it is, and if you don't measure up to this bar, you're out of luck, right? There are lots of things like this. I, I work at MSU, and you know, we get applications to people who want to, to come. I work specifically with the doctoral program, and so we say, what are your scores on the GRE, the graduate record exam? And if your score is below a certain number, you know, sadly, it doesn't matter what else is in your application. It doesn't matter how glowing the, the letters of recommendation are. There's a bar, and if you're below it, you're out of luck. If you're above it, then you'll get considered. People face this when trying to get a job, right? Well, what degree do you have? How much experience do you have? Sorry, you don't measure up, right? This is true in many things in life. And it's very discouraging when you don't measure up. And actually, it's really discouraging when you find somebody who seems to measure up in everything, right? They're above the bar in every category you can imagine. And here I sit and not able to do what I want to do. So there's a fascinating story told in the Gospels, uh, the story of Jesus' life, when the mom of two of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, I have a favor to ask of you. And Jesus says, perhaps with a little bit of trepidation, uh, so what is this favor? You know, Grant that one of my sons would sit on your left and the other on your right in your kingdom. Now what I don't like about Jesus' answer is that this is what I want him to say. I want him to say, you know, in my kingdom it's all flat. Once you're in the door, we're all the same. So it doesn't matter. That's what I want to hear him say. And he says, well, actually, there are places of honor in my kingdom. There really are places like that. But he says, the father is the one who picks who gets to sit where in the kingdom. And so then I try to think, well, how does the father pick these people? Imagine the generations. Imagine the thousands of years of the people of God. 
How's God gonna pick the people to give extreme honor to, right? What kind of people is he gonna pick? And so it's easy for me to think of people like the Apostle Paul, right? Here's a a man of incredible discipline, self-sacrifice, wisdom, ability to communicate. Uh, uh, He wrote so much of the Bible. I mean, here's a great example. I think of a woman like Ruth, A woman who, though she was not from the people of God, she says, no, God is the true God and I will leave my own land to pursue the God of Israel. And and she's highly honored. And I think, wow, there's somebody that, you know, God will probably honor that person. I think of of missionaries who who sacrifice greatly. They try to raise their kids in incredibly hostile environments and and perhaps imprisoned. And I think of people who, who live in, in countries where you know it's illegal to be a Christian or to talk about it. I was just reading uh, the book Jesus in Beijing and, and this record of all these, these men and women who sacrificed tremendously in order to live out their faith. And I think these are the types of people that are gonna get places of honor in the kingdom. Me? Well, I've given up on the head table idea. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking it'd be great to be within visual distance right? Maybe off in the distance. I think, I think that's them up there, right? That's, right? Because imagine how high this bar has to be, how good somebody has to be, how much faith they must have, how much sacrifice they have given in order to get a place of honor among all the people of God, right? And I'm overwhelmed by that. And I wonder what kind of criteria would God use to say, here's the kind of person I want to bless. Here's the kind of person I want to honor. I want to understand that. We're going to look at Luke 18 today because I think we find some stories that teach us what kind of people God wants to bless, God wants to honor. Uh, Luke 18, we'll start at verse 9. If um, you grab a pew Bible, it's six, page 62 in, the, in the, the latter part of the Bible. Page 62, we're looking at Luke 18. Let me just give you a little orientation to Luke. Uh, as a family, we're reading... Um, a book called Mr. 500, Andy Granatelli, and he, he's uh, just an incredible guy in terms of race cars, and it, it's a wonderful book. It's a blast to read it. I'm thinking once or twice he might exaggerate. Um, he tells this story of riding this motorcycle at 70 miles an hour down a, a cobblestone street, and he falls off and is rolling around. The motorcycle falls over the top of him, and, and he gets up and rides home. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, so th- not only that, he then flies through an apartment and goes through the window, you know, ends up in the front, in the living room with these people, and he has dinner with them. I mean, it's just, they're great stories, but I know that, you know, something a little bit like this happened, and then he's a great storyteller. <laughs> what Luke says is, you guys can be sure that what I'm telling you really happened. Luke said, I want you to know this stuff about Jesus. It wasn't that there was this little bit and somebody said, let's make it a really good story because that'll sell lots of Bibles. People didn't say that. Luke says, this stuff is real. I want you to be certain of it. So in some sense, it seems that he's writing to people who knew all about it and he says, this isn't just a bunch of stories. This stuff is real. You can depend upon it. Luke says, I want you to understand this guy, Jesus. He really is the Messiah. And one of the great one of the great themes in Luke is, is this theme of reversal. He loves to do it. He loves to say, you know what, there's some people who are very rich and honored in this world. And it turns out they're gonna be brought pretty low. And there's some people in this world that they aren't honored at all, and God's gonna bring them up. And there's just this great theme of reversal that is very often used in Luke. One of the interesting things in Luke is that there are four parts in Luke where Jerusalem is mentioned. 
When Jesus was very young, you know, he's born in Bethlehem. At 40 days old, he goes to Jerusalem to be blessed. And then when he's 12 years old, he goes to Jerusalem and talks with the religious leaders and, and impresses everybody by his, his questions, by his insight. So the first two times in Jerusalem are pretty positive. The next two aren't so positive. The third one is when the devil takes him to the top of the temple and says, hey, if you'll just go my way, I'll give you all this stuff. Everybody's going to love you. You'll have it made, right? So the great temptations of Jesus. The last time he goes to Jerusalem, he goes to die. A fascinating thing about this last time to Jerusalem, more than a third of the book of Luke is about this journey to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And it takes him from Luke chapter 9 to 19 to get there. And then from 19 to the end, to die and the resurrection. We're in the midst of this journey to Jerusalem, to this place where everybody's impressed with it. Right? In Israel, there's not a better place to be than Jerusalem, and there's not a better person to be than one of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. Right? And, and so we're in the midst of this journey there. We're going to look in this part of, the, of his gospel, verses 9 to 30, and we're going to look at three stories and then offer some reflections about those stories. So the first story, Luke 18, starting at verse 9. And he, Jesus, also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So let's stop there for a second. So Luke tells us that Jesus told this parable, and Jesus told this parable with special insight into the people he was talking to. He knew that among the people he was talking to, there was a whole bunch of them who were really convinced they were really good people, right? They were pretty convinced they're the kind of people that God likes and that God would be glad to bless. And they tend to look down on the other people and say, you know, those other people, uh, God's going to have a harder time dealing with them, right? So these are the people he's talking to. And so to these people, he says, here's a parable. I want to tell you a story. So he tells a story about two men who came to church. And one was as good as you can imagine. And one was just about as bad as you can imagine. The one who is just about as good as you can imagine, he's the kind of guy that, that I was mentioning other, earlier when I say, you know, what are the people like who sit on the left and the right? I mean, here's a guy that is the epitome of the worship of God, of obedience of God, uh, dedication to God, and, and he's honored for it, right? He was a good man, and everybody would agree to that. So, right? It's not the way we think of today, somebody's a hypocrite because he's a Pharisee. In Jesus' day, they were really highly honored, Hard to imagine something negative about them. So we're told he came to the temple and he prayed. Now it says, it's interesting, in the New American Standard it says, he stood and was praying this to himself. If you have a different translation, it'll say he stood by himself and was praying. 
And in reality, in the Greek, it's ambiguous. The, the, the by himself, to himself, that can attach either to how he was standing or how he was praying, right? So it's, it's, it's an unusual thing that you have two translations that both are reliable and yet they say something significantly different. Well, the Greek's a bit ambiguous. But what is clear is that this is a man who felt like he was better than the rest of the people, right? In some sense, he wants to protect himself from getting, you know, his clothes dirty from the, you know, the other people around, that he doesn't want to be touched by that, hurt by that, right? And so he prays and he says, God, I thank you that I haven't gotten trapped by all sorts of horrible stuff. And he's right, right? I mean, there are all sorts of horrible things people get trapped in in this world. And, and they become enslaved by it and it ruins their lives. It's a terrible thing, right? And, and he says, I'm so thankful that I haven't gotten trapped in those things. You know, he, he talks about the, the swindlers, the unjust, the adulterers. And he says, even by, like that guy over there, that tax collector, oh, I'm so thankful I didn't turn out like him, right? And then he goes on to prove why he's so good. He says, I fast twice a week and I tithe everything I get. And, and the, the Jewish law didn't require you to fast twice a week. It didn't require you to fast every week. It was, it was rare times in the year that you were required to fast. But he says, I'm over the top, right? I fast twice a week. And, and then there was this big debate about, do you have to tithe on something that somebody else, somebody else tithed on already? Right? Kind of like double taxation. You, know, you shouldn't tax the same income twice. So the idea was you didn't have to tithe on the same thing twice. But he says, I'm not going to be a part of that debate. Just to be safe, everything I get, no matter where it came, came from, I'm going to tithe on it. He says, I am making sure I've got all my bases covered. Right? I'm doing it right. He says, God, I'm so thankful that, that I've come to this point in life to be where I am. The other man is the other extreme, the tax collector. Right? He was the lowest of the low. Uh, I think of, of sexual predators on children. I mean, I, I think of people who are like this, and I think, what an awful thing, right? People who are, who are trying to manipulate the system, even kids, to serve a perversion. And th- this guy was kind of like that, right? When people think of the tax collectors, they think, wow, here is a traitor, here's somebody who's going against all that's decent and good. So he comes, and he also stands separate. But he stands separate because he says, I have no place here. I should not be here. I am not good enough for it. And he prays a very simple prayer. He says, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. God, I have no claims. He didn't make any justification. He didn't say I was raised in a tough home where awful things happened. It's been a tough economic time. I've got you know, some issues. He didn't make any justification. He didn't give God any reason why God had to be merciful to him. He just said, God, be merciful to me because I am a sinner. You've got the one that everybody would say he is on top of the world and he thanks God for it. You have the other who is the bottom of the world. We'd all agree. And all he says is, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus does what Luke loves, the great reversal, right? The one who's very high goes home and nothing's happened at church that day. And the one who was so low, we're told, he went home justified, declared to be righteous, not guilty, released from all of that. And why? Because Jesus says this amazing thing. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Literally, those who raise themselves up will be brought down. And those who lower themselves 
will be lifted up. An amazing reversal from the one we would expect that God would love. God says no. The one that we'd expect that God would hate. God says, I'll lift that person up. The first story. So we go to the second story. Verse 15, and they, we don't know who they were, but some adults, they were bringing even their babies to him, to Jesus, so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them saying, permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So we've got these, these kids coming. and In fact, I, I love the way it says it. Even infants were coming. It kind of suggests that the disciples would say, we're okay now with the little kids coming. You know, they're a little annoying, but we'll put up with that. But infants, this isn't the kind of thing that Jesus ought to be spending his time with. He ought to be spending his time talking to the religious leaders, to the Roman centurions, to the powerful people in society. And I was just reading a thing about a, a significant Christian speaker who says, here's how I decide where I'm going to take an invitation to speak. I will speak where significant things are happening. Right? I'm going to speak where there are a bunch of people. I'm not coming to some little church in some little place that not much is happening. I'm going to go where there's significant stuff taking place because I want to make an impact. And, and in a way, that's really good. But that's exactly what the disciples were thinking. Infants... I don't think so. There's nothing happening here, right? This isn't the place for Jesus to make an impact in the world. And so the disciples looked at these, these parents bringing the infants and said, I don't think so. Keep them away. We've got to reserve Jesus for the important people. And Jesus says, no, actually, this is exactly the kind of people I want, right? He says, bring those kids here. And then he says this amazing thing. If you won't receive the kingdom like a little child, You'll never enter it. Now, here's something I think that, that we've often done is we said, okay, well, there must be something really good about kids, right? Kids aren't trying to serve their own ends, manipulate the world to try to serve themselves. They're not self-focused, self-centered. And I think, have we been around kids lately? I mean, <laughs> you know, kids are really good at this from an early age, right? They've learned, I know how to cry to get mom doing stuff for me, Right? There's some really good things about kids, but I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to say. Find out what's really good about kids and then be really good about that. Be above the bar and about being a good kid, right? What Jesus says is, the kind of people that enter my kingdom are the ones who are nothings. The people who are completely insignificant. I'm not looking for the really grand, really powerful ones. I'm looking for the really small, insignificant ones. If you receive the kingdom that way, he says, you'll, re- you'll enter it. But if you won't receive it like a nobody, you'll never enter my kingdom. Okay? That was the second story. On to the third story. Verse 18, a ruler questioned him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. 
But when he'd heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, well, then who can be saved? But he said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come, eternal life. So we have this ruler who comes and and he's immediately, we know the opposite end of the spectrum from the infants. He's a ruler, he's a rich ruler, he's a righteous ruler. Everybody would think this guy has got it made. If Jesus is gonna be pleased with anybody, here's one of them, right? And so he comes to Jesus and says, good teacher, what do I have to do? I think what he's saying is, I figured out how to play the game well in this life to be successful. Everybody honors me, I've got loads of money, and he says, I kinda like to be sure that I still have a lot in the next life, right? So he says, what do I have to do to ensure that? Jesus' first response is a surprising one. He says, well, why are you calling me good? Nobody's good except for God. Some people look at this and think, well, maybe Jesus is distancing himself from God, saying, well, there's God, and then I'm down here, don't be calling me good because I'm not God, and I'm convinced that's not what Jesus was saying. What he's saying is, man, you don't know what good means. All right, so here's what good normally means to me. You know, there's some stuff that's just awful in life. And some stuff is so-so, you take it or leave it. Some stuff is quite good, and then some stuff is great. Right? So between these two extremes of really awful and really great, eh, to the good side, you've gotten good. And the man said, Jesus, you're, you're pretty good. I've watched you teach. You're, you're pretty good at this stuff. She says, you don't know what you're talking about. Good means there is nothing bad about it. And the only thing, the only one who has nothing bad about him is God himself. So he says, we need to redefine what good means. So then I think Jesus actually does this. He goes on to say, okay, you know the commandments. And so here Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments, but not all of them. He, he skips the first part of the Ten Commandments, which are specifically between people and God. No other gods, no idols, don't take his name in vain, and remember the Sabbath to remember the God who made you and the God who rescued you, right? So he skips those for whatever reason, and then he tells most of the next set. No adultery, no murder, no stealing, no lying, and uh, what was the last one? Honor your father and your mother. Okay, so he he takes this next set, but he leaves one out. Don't covet. Ah, Might be a problem here. Well, he says those ones that he chose to, to, to state, he says, you know the commandments, do them. And the man says, well, I've been doing those my whole life. And if I were Jesus, I'd say, well, let's, let's bring in your parents and your siblings and let's have a little conversation. <laughs> let's find out if you really have been like this your whole life. Jesus didn't do that. He said, okay, for sake of argument, let's go with that. Let's say that you've done all those things. He says, one more thing you lack, and that is this command not to covet. So he says, tell everything you've got, give it away, and then come follow me. And Jesus hit the nail on the head. This guy was not nearly as good as he thought right, because he loved his stuff, and he wanted to keep his stuff, and Jesus says, you've got to let go of that stuff 
in order to enter the kingdom. And the man leaves. Very sad. And Jesus says, wow, it's so hard for people who have a lot. You know, people that are big and have done really well, it's really hard for those people to enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, in fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Some have looked at this and said, well, perhaps there was a gate in Jerusalem that was uh, a small gate and you had to unload the camel in order to get it through. And we've got a really cool kids book that we read with our kids that illustrates this. And as far as I can tell, that's an idea that didn't really come until the Middle Ages, that there really wasn't such a gate. In any case, it seems that the idea is right, the scale is wrong. Jesus says, think of a camel, a big smelly thing. The eye of a needle, it's got to go through there. Is the problem that the camel's not big enough? No, the problem is the camel is just way too big. Just That's what rich people are like. They're just way too big to fit into this kingdom. And the people who are thinking, wow, if anybody could get into the kingdom, it's got to be this rich guy. They say, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, well, you're right. It is impossible. You're too big. You're trying to get your big camel through the thing you can't get a child's finger through. It's not working because you're way too big. You're way too important in your own eyes in order to enter into this kingdom. Then Peter says, well, what about us? We've done what you just told that guy to do. We've left everything. And actually, one of the things I love that New American Standard does, if you're looking at that translation, verse 28, says, Peter said, behold, we have left our own homes. And the word homes is in italic, in italics, because that's not actually stated in the Greek. What it literally says is, we've left our own. Basically, left our, we've left our own everything, right? All that we claimed as ours, we let go of. Our careers, our families, the places we lived, and we followed. And Peter says, we've done that, so what about us? And I expect Jesus to rebuke Peter. You know, to say, you're sounding a little self-righteous there now, Peter, looking down on the rich ruler, and you know, I expect a rebuke. But Jesus actually says, you know what, Peter, that's exactly what I like about you guys. You're willing to let go of that stuff. And in fact, he says this in a very emphatic way. He says, There is no way that there's somebody who has given up their right to things for the kingdom who won't receive tremendous blessings. There's no way that could happen, Jesus says. And eventually they'll receive eternal life. The very thing that the rich ruler was hoping to get. Right? He says, you guys get it because you've let go. What's Jesus saying here? What's Luke trying to say in these passages? I'm convinced what Luke is trying to say is that God blesses people who are willing to admit they have no claim on God's blessing. He blesses people who are willing to admit they have no right to this stuff. Right? Pride and presumption are toxic to the blessing of God. Where do we see it? You go back to the Pharisee. The Pharisee said, God, I deserve your blessings. I'm thankful for them, but I deserve them because I've lived such a good life and I obey and I've got it made. And, and he goes away with nothing. Tax collector says, I don't deserve a thing before you, God. There is no reason in the world that you should have to do anything for me. I just ask for your mercy. And God says, I love to bless people like that. Now, when the Pharisee and the tax collector went home that day, I don't know that either of them knew what happened. My guess is the Pharisee went home and felt as good about himself on the way home as he did on the way to church. And I don't know, it could be that that the tax collector had this epiphany and thought, wow, I'm accepted by God. Or it could be he went home feeling as terrible about himself as he came. I don't know. 
because I think often we don't understand the blessing of God. We don't know, but, but Jesus very clearly taught in the eyes of God, those who thought they deserved God's blessing got none of it. And those who thought they had no right whatsoever to God bless, God's blessing received it abundantly. And then we have these infants, even the infants who came, they're not worthy of any attention of God. They're not worthy of an important person coming to them, and yet Jesus says, that's exactly the kind of person I bless. Because we all know they're not deserving of it. They're not important enough. And so we come to the rich ruler. Again, somebody who was so confident in himself as somebody who the reason he had all these blessings is because he deserved them, and God owed them to him because of the good life he lived. And everybody looked at him and said the same thing. And Jesus says, actually, he's very far away. He's not going to enter the kingdom. He says it's those who realize they're small enough to go through the eye of a needle. They're the ones that I'm glad to bless. Right? Because the message is God loves to bless those who are willing to admit they don't deserve it. So years ago, I uh, went spelunking, where you go crawling in the ground. Uh, through caves and tunnels and whatnot. So we'd go into a storm drain and, and you go in and you crawl around for a mile or two and you come out someplace else. Extremely dirty and wet and cold and you say you had a good time. Now, actually, it was really, a, a, it was a lot of fun, but it's not a thing for somebody who's claustrophobic or afraid of the dark <laughs> because you get into tight spots and it's very dark. And you know, there are times when either the walls are close together, the wall comes close down, and so you're crawling, you know, at first on all fours and then on your belly to squirt through, and okay, I'm sure I'm going to exaggerate here a little bit, but the, the sense that the ceiling comes down so far, and then when it gets really thrilling is that when you're going through water and the ceiling comes down close to the water, right? So the ceiling comes down and the water's about here, and so you've got about this much space, and so you're crawling on your side, trying to keep your nose and your mouth out so that you can breathe, and then the real thrill is when you actually have to go underwater to get out to the other side, right? It's a frightening thing. You're extremely vulnerable. I think that's a picture of the people that God loves to bless. The people who realize I'm completely vulnerable before God. It's not that I'm not tall enough, I'm not big enough. The problem is I'm way too big, right? In my own eyes, I'm so... I'm so misunderstanding what God sees in me. I think he ought to bless me. I deserve it. And the problem is, I have way too big a view of myself. The issue is I've got to become very, very low and accept the fact that I don't deserve any of this blessing. And so I think this is a wonderful picture of baptism. In baptism, in immersion, we go back into the water and somebody else has to pick us up, right? This is not a self-administered activity where you hold on to the sides and you dunk down and you come back up. You put yourself into the hands of somebody else. And if they don't bring you up, you're down for a long time, right? And that's what it is to become a Christian, is to say, God, I don't deserve any of this. I have no right over you. It's not because I've done something good. It's not even because I've said a good prayer. I don't deserve any of this. And if you don't pull me back up out of the water, I'm in trouble. And God loves to bless people who do that. He loves to bless people who admit they have no claim on his blessing. It's when we think we have a claim to it that that's toxic, it just, it neutralizes the blessing of God. God says, those who raise themselves up, I'm going to lower them. I'm going to find a way and I'm going to lower them. It's those who are lower themselves and admit, I have no claim to this, that he loves to bless. To me, this has huge implications for generosity, right? 
Normally, you guys might all be different than I am, but normally I, I get into this mode that says, I don't yet make as much money as I deserve. Right? I'm worth more than I'm getting paid. And, and people keep trying to take it away from me with taxation and all this other stuff. And it's fine. And I'm not, I don't even have enough of it yet. Right? How different it would be is if I say my own sense of how much I deserve is actually quite small. And I've been given far more than that. Then it's much easier for me to be generous and to say, well, actually, I've already been given more than I deserve. So I had to share that with some other people. Right? If my sense of how much I deserve is very big, I'm going to be pretty slow to give any of it away. Whereas if my sense of what I deserve is quite small, it's much easier to say, well, I'll share some of that excess, more than I deserve, with others. And for me, this is very significant in terms of my sense of gratitude. So can I teach you a math lesson? Gratitude is a mathematical equation, okay? Hang in there with me on this. Gratitude equals what I think I've been given minus what I think I deserve, Got it? Gratitude equals what I think I've been given minus what I think I deserve. Okay? So if I think I've been given about this much, yeah, it's not too bad, but I kind of think I deserve this much. Right? Well, when you do the subtraction, I come out with a negative number and we call that bitterness. Right? I haven't gotten what I deserve. Change it around. Gratitude equals I've been given so much, it's amazing what I've been given, and you know what? What I deserve is about this much. Do the math, you see your gratitude. Right? So when I think I have a right to a pleasant, productive, peaceful life, then whenever it's not that, I'm upset. When I realize that what I deserve before God doesn't even include the next breath I take, then when I take that breath, I have gratitude. I say, thank you, God, for life itself, because I don't deserve that. It's a gift to me. Right? Why? Because God loves to bless people who make no claim to the blessing of God. He doesn't have to bless me because I have no right to it. And when I'll admit that, God says I love to bless people. And he says there's no way somebody's going to do that and not receive blessing. What will the blessing look like? I don't know. I really don't know in this life. But I know that it means that God says I love to honor those people in my kingdom. Because God loves to bless people who will admit they don't deserve it. So go back to the question of who's going to sit on Jesus' left and his right I don't know, but I think I can tell you one thing about those people. They think they're the last people in the world who deserve it, right? It's not like they're thinking, oh, if I, if, if I get imprisoned one more time, that'll add to my resume and that'll help my application. There's a better chance of getting up there. The last thing in the world they think, right? Because God loves to bless the people who make no claims to deserving the blessing of God. What's amazing to me in all of this that this quality describes God himself. Listen to these words from Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Who is it that deserves all the blessing, all the honor, all the glory, but God himself? And Jesus was willing to let go of all of it. Say, I make no claims to it. 
If God the Father says to me, die a criminal's death for the sake of a bunch of criminals, he says, I will do it. I make no claim to say, that's mine, give it to me. And so what's God do? He gives him a name that's above every name, that every knee would bow before him. He honors him with a glory beyond our comprehension. Why? Because love, God loves to bless those who make no claims to the blessing, who are willing to say, God, that's entirely in your hands. If you choose to bless, you choose not to bless, that's up to you. But Jesus says, there's no way somebody's going to live this way, and I won't bless them. Right? I don't know where you stand today. I don't know what issues you might be dealing with, whether it's pride or, or a lack of gratitude or even coming to terms with trusting God himself because that's what it really comes down to. Is can I really say, God, I place it all in your hands and whatever you choose will be fine with me. That's what Jesus, our Savior, did. And it's because of him we have the confidence that when we do that, there is no way Anybody will take that step and God won't be thrilled to bless. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you that you are such a kind, gracious, and generous God. I thank you so much that you bless those who don't deserve it. And Father, we confess that so often we think we are rather deserving of it. We can look around and see other people and think, well, if they've got that much, I should have at least that much, or I should have something close to that. Or sometimes we look around and say, there's no reason God would ever bless me. Father, I pray that we would be willing to admit that we have no claim over your blessing, and yet you're the kind of God who loves to bless people who are willing to admit that. For each of us here, Father, I pray that we would truly humble ourselves before you to recognize we're not nearly as good as we think we are, to recognize you have already given us more than we could ever deserve. And Father, this promise of eternal life when we don't deserve it is just beyond comprehension. And Father, I thank you most of all for your son who is willing to come to be, to be born as, as an infant, to grow up and to die as a criminal not claiming the rights that were his. It's just overwhelming. Father, thank you for giving us such a savior, for being such a God. Father, help us to trust you more, that you love to bless, as we'll just put ourselves in your hands. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, may you walk in this amazing grace of our amazing God. Go in his grace, amen.